This is On Mike with Jordan Rich, and today we're going to focus on something that I majored in, communications, something that I and many in my field work at daily. We've got two great guests, two professors, Dan Bullock, who's on the faculty at NYU, specializing in language and programs and business and all things communications. Dan has also done some communications work with the United Nations, which gives him a pretty awesome global perspective. His colleague and co-writer of the book we're going to be talking about is Raul Sanchez, also an NYU professor in business communication and ESL. He's a journalist, a public speaker, and a Wall Street Journal contributor, and much more. The two of them have gotten together to write How to Communicate Effectively with Anyone, Anywhere, Your Passport to Connecting Globally. It's actually a fun read with some amazing illustrations and more. So I'm ready to open up the channels of communication with these two fine gentlemen. I hope you'll come along for the ride. Welcome to Dan Bullock and Raul Sanchez as we get together and communicate right here on Mike. Well, it's a long title, How to Communicate Effectively with Anyone, Anywhere, Your Passport to Connecting Globally, but uh, it promises a lot and it does deliver. Gentlemen, welcome to my podcast, uh, which is a way to communicate. Nice to see you both. How are you, Raul? Uh, good. Very good. Thank you, Jordan, for having us. I'm and, happy to be here. And Daniel is here as well. Good to see you as well, Daniel. Good to see you too. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. The one guy is not here is the illustrator, and that's your twin brother, Rod Sanchez, Raul. Tell us about him. Yeah, so he is an award-winning illustrator, graphic designer, and also a user experience designer. So he created this augmented reality experience with the book. So where you you can point your smartphone at the illustrations and they come to life on the page and reveal some hidden tips on body language, presentation skills. And so that's an added dimension. But his illustrations definitely pushed us when we created this project to some new areas and um, inspired us in, in new directions, greater directions. Well, that's really cool. I'm glad you added that piece about the augmented reality, which is cutting edge. And Dan, we'll start with you. Both of you gentlemen, as I said in the introduction, are educators, but you've had experience as negotiators working with the United Nations and having international connections. What's different about this new approach? What's the mission statement that's different? Well, the mission statement, I think, collectively is um, if we're talking about negotiation, it's more about always framing or having a mindset uh, towards a win-win approach. And we tend to refer to this to integrative, right? Um, now, now, yes, of course, there are times where you need to, where you need to be um, focused in terms of, of, let's say that you're trying to get money back for something, or let's say that you're talking to the bank, right? But on a global platform, right, the whole idea is that you want to view the other party as a partner. Right. So there's two other there's two roads. There's the win win approach and there's the win lose approach. So integrative versus distributive. Um, and that's what we typically uh, train a lot of diplomats, delegates, global U.N. staff, as well as international professionals at multinational companies uh, to kind of shift their mind on negotiations. It's more about um, thinking on how to phrase questions. Right. So asking more questions than making statements, right? So a lot of the time it's asking open-ended questions over closed mm. questions because the whole process of negotiation, um, even outside of an international context is to is to gather information. It's information gathering, uh, this process. You have to go in with research, but you have to be able to, to be mindful and have empathy for the other party. You're trying to draw out from the other party, whatever it is that they need, what they need or what they want, right? And across different cultures, there's different... Um, ways to do that. We also have to keep in mind how we build trust and how we, um, how, tr how respect is translated across culture. Well, Raul, one of the takeaways I have is that there are a lot of old fashioned values that you guys reinstate and reconfigure here to, to the modern era, to the international 
set. I found myself agreeing with so many of the things that you talk about. We'll get into some specifics, but what's old and tried and true is new again, in my estimation. That's a great way to put it. I think one and one inspiration and jumping point for the book that I think would be an entry point for for listeners is that we started with um, something called the overview effect, which is which is an astronaut's perspective of the Earth. And the idea that this is this can uh, spark the most powerful cognitive shift imaginable. And so we go back to the Apollo 8 mission, you know, the photograph from William, William Anders, 1968, you know, where he turned around um, when he was on his way to the moon to look at the Earth. And, you know, the quote is, we set out to explore the moon, but instead discovered the Earth. And this image went as close to viral as an image could at the time. You know, it's credited with starting the um, environmental movement. But the idea is that we want to bring that global mindset, that idea of this interconnected world that we share to our work in the in the market, global marketplace on Earth. And so the book centers on these patterns of communication. Each chapter is a different pattern. You know, we cover presentation skills, effective emailing, negotiating. And the idea is that we want to develop that global skill set connected to the mindset. So, um, you know, going back to that 1968 image was a sort of a launch point for us. And then, as you say, there are values that we um, that we think were important to build around, you know, in networking, there's um, the idea of these two paths you can take. You can take a results driven path, which is a traditional approach. We're looking for a job. We want to get assets or, you know, opportunities, but it's a little bit more self-serving versus the discovery driven path, which is when we're thinking about um, piloting new ideas with cultural partners, enriching our perspective, um, discovering joint opportunities. And this is what, you know, the CEOs of today are doing, you know, the Airbnb CEO, he went to networking events and said, hey, what do you think about sleeping on someone's couch? You know, how, how does this mm -hmm. idea work for you? And so, but the idea is that just that shift in mindset in, in that one particular skill networking can lead you down an entirely different path and creating right. entirely different opportunities. Right. Um, yeah. And there's sirens going off. Uh, people are so excited about your new book. Uh, Dan, let me come back to you. Both of you guys are, are talking to us from New York, where it's a, a very busy city these days, which is good to hear. Dan, let me come back to you. Um, the fact that it's so internationally based and you both have experience on the international market, there's no escaping that anymore. I mean, even people who have a small business in Cleveland, Ohio, might be interacting very soon, if not already, with people overseas. Sure, exactly, Jordan. So whenever we are working with us, others, it doesn't necessarily have to translate to working with them abroad because we work in different companies. We, we, we have diverse workplaces today, right? Um, and we like to think about it in terms of working in global teams, no matter if you're on a, a smaller level rather than a global level. But the idea is that is that we have to focus on the individual within the culture a lot of the time. So um, one way that we like to kind of frame it is, is in terms of how we communicate more effectively by using what's called global English. Now, global English is something we talk about in the book. Um, and maybe Rule can speak a little bit to what global English is not, but I'm going to say right here, glo global English is the language of international business, right? So this is how people are communicating today across cultures. Um, and I'm going to turn it over to Rule if you maybe want to speak a little bit to uh, what non-global English is. Yeah, sometimes it is easier to understand what, what it isn't. And so non-global English are those idioms, you know, groups of words that have a cultural meaning separate from the individual parts, like cut and dry off the top of my head. You know, these don't translate literally. And of course, those cultural references, Americans, we love references to baseball, you know, like let's level the playing field, let's bring our A game. You know, this came out of left field. Those aren't always um, internationally 
um, relatable, you know, and then of course, acronyms and initialisms, which are those abbreviations, you know, initialisms are where you pronounce each separate letter like FBI, the right. acronyms are the words like NATO, but all of those aren't as translatable. And so some tips we give, um, you know, for example, phrasal verbs, which are those verbs that are, you know, two word or three word idiomatic phrases, something like draw up. If you're saying, let's draw up a contract, when you translate that verb in its separate parts, it's not clear, but instead of using a phrasal verb, you might use a single word, like let's write the contract, let's draft the mm. proposal. So those are, are things that we do, um, you know, in terms of our trainings at the United Nations and NYU um, for professionals or multinational corporations thinking about global English. And it's not necessarily simplified English. It's more about clarity in the communication. And then, of course, adding in those cultural nuances as well. There are so many global tips on every page, pretty much. And I noted one that says adopting your communication style to others is a key principle of interpersonal effectiveness. And uh, particularly when we're dealing with, with people from overseas or other countries, you have to give a little bit. Americans tend to be a little bit stubborn in that regard, but you, it really makes for a much better arrangement. And I talk to I interview people from all over the world all the time, and it really makes makes for a much better back and forth when you when you express an interest in how they communicate. Dan, any comment on that? Exactly. So I think what we need to look at is we have to start with foundational elements of intercultural communications, right? So there are high context cultures and there are low context cultures. Okay. So about 70% of the world, um, world's cultures operate in this high context culture um, element. So what this means is that it is that decision-making is more from a collectivist approach where a group of people are going to make the decision. Um, a lot of the information is going to be shared more implicitly. So, so you have to read between the lines, so to speak, right? Whereas if we compare that to low context cultures, right? So low context cultures would, would be, would comprise, for example, the United States, um, Central and Western Europe, Scandinavia, Australia, New Zealand, right? The UK, um, and in these low context cultures, again, so just to kind of mathematically pair both of these, this is about 30% of the cultures in the world operate in this fashion. And a lot of the information is shared more explicitly, like you were saying, Jordan, um, in terms of um, well, what do we need? It's more, it's more of a task oriented mindset, right? So, so if we look at both of them, the idea is if we're trying to reach a global audience, let's say from the United States, and we're trying to reach somebody, for example, let's say could be in the Middle East or it could be in China. The idea is we have to think on how information is being interpreted. We have mm -hmm. to think of this cognitive uptake of information because each of us within different cultures are going to process information a little bit differently, but it's also in how we share information. Um, that person speaking from the United States is probably going to have a natural tendency to, uh, to share information more explicitly, whereas, whereas the interpretation from somebody from a high context culture is going to want to have the information shared implicitly, right? I hope that helps clarify a little it, bit. It does. And uh, I also dog-eared a few other pages. And it had to do with conversation starters. And I, I guess it's returning to the, the point you brought up, Raul, the open-ended questions. As an interviewer, I'm supposed to do that because otherwise we have no interview. I just say, tell me, is that correct? Yes. Okay, good night. <laughs> Let's talk about the open-ended and what that does to disarm a new contact, and it really can be the, the pathway to success in communication. Talk further about open-ended questions. Sure. So I think, um, and this goes back to what uh, Dan mentioned earlier about information gathering. So sometimes the question beyond just, you know, getting the information for the specific context, you are, it's a feedback loop that you're creating 
cross-culturally and you're thinking about, okay, so how can I build trust? How can I um, build a, a certain package between me and the other party when I'm negotiating or, or even if I'm networking that is going to be mutual gain, mutual benefit. And uh, in the networking chapter, we talk about these discourse strategies from linguistics. So you're almost like your, your topic, it's topic management is what it's called. And you're, you're guiding the other person to the intended areas, but you're also at the same time um, gathering information so that you can build uh, a sense of yeah, mutual gain, win-win. And um, there are certain ways to open a conversation in English that have been studied that we, we crystallize there. And, there's, and there aren't you know, many of them, but we crystallize the way that you can do this in building a relationship more powerfully. So, um, you know, for example, you might just you know, ask an open-ended question and then from there, the person will you know, give you three possible topics to talk about. And from there, then you pick the one that is gonna guide them to your pitch, if that's what you want to do, or the one that is going to guide them to um, maybe a solution that you want to propose, something like that. But the idea is being intentional with structuring the conversation. And then also when you close, because closing is actually the place where you can leave a relationship vulnerable if you don't close the right way. And But if you do close in a way that's natural, that's not overstaying your welcome, that builds the next interaction, then um, that's where you can cement that relationship for the next exchange that you're going to have. Something that I work on regularly is show prep. We have to get ready for our next assignment, whoever that might be, whatever that might be. And I'm thinking that along with the tips and, and the communication style, it's knowing your audience. Dan, can you reflect a little bit on what people should do when they're connecting for the first time with, a, say, a, a new venture, new venture domestically or internationally? What's important about that uh, show prep aspect? And you've touched on something. I mean, it's very important to know your audience, right? Because your audience feeds into into whatever the objective or the purpose is. Are you trying to inform someone of something? Are you trying to persuade? That folds into the message. And then ultimately what we're trying to do is we're trying to create some sort of value for, for the person that we're speaking with, right? But try and understand in terms of, well, why are we in this conversation to begin with? Or why are we networking, for example? Are we networking for a job? Are we trying to network in order to get new business from a client? The idea is going into each conversation, um, being mindful of the other person, just um, having a natural interest. Active listening is so important today. I don't think we do enough of it, um, especially from a westernized culture, right? Um, in terms of Eastern cultures, they're very, um, these cultures are very attuned to, to listening because it's a matter of respect, right? Um, I think that that's kind of been lost a little bit in translation in terms of just the types of business practices that we're used to here in Western cultures. But the idea is really just getting to know the person, trying to open up uh, some channel of communication by way of finding commonalities. So finding commonalities, a little bit of small talk can go a long way, right? But I think what it really comes down to is trying to identify specifically what the value is. And, and sometimes that's not apparent. So sometimes it comes with asking mm -hmm. those open-ended right. questions right. And, trying and trying to angle in um, in order to find a specific response. Yeah, the biggest mistake you can make is Googling somebody's cultural reference and just walking into a huge trap. And that's happened to me. It's sure. happened to <laughs> a lot of us. There's another aspect to what you guys are talking about. And I say another aspect. There's every aspect. How to communicate effectively with anyone anywhere covers a lot of ground. And that's presentation, uh, public speaking, which has been something that I've been doing for my entire career and helping people with. But I, I thought you guys have an interesting approach to today's public speaking. A lot of it is done in front of a camera as opposed to in person. What are some of the uh, takeaways from the book, Dan? We'll start with you when it comes to public presentation. Sure. Yeah. So, 
there's something that we like to frame in terms of you have to be aware of the content. And a lot of the time we spend a lot of time forming our content, but we don't practice enough of the delivery. So if you're standing up in front of a boardroom, because the boardroom, the virtual room has become our metaphorical campfire today. Like that's how we're sharing information. But the idea is that you want to be mindful of, of how much information the other party can digest, right? So for example, whether you're um, chunking information is what we call it, right? Um, and this kind of gets into vocalics and that's a separate area. But the idea is presenting information, perhaps even through more than one sense, Schemata, and this is something that Rule can probably talk about a little bit further, but Schemata in, in terms of really focusing on, on the senses, right? Sight, sound, touch, taste, and smell if it applies, right? So getting people really um, immersed in terms of whatever the topic is, because again, if you're, if you're communicating with a diverse audience, there's something that we talk about in the book, it's called the, the hourglass um, canvas model, right? Um, where there's an inverted pyramid and an upright pyramid. And the, re the reason for that is, is so that you're touching um, on both, both cultural aesthetics, right? So whenever you're giving a presentation, so some people are used to receiving the information or the main idea at the very beginning, where, whereas in other cultures, right, particularly high context cultures, the information of the main idea comes at the end. So we're trying to um, account for both of those, right? Hmm. And then rule... Uh, I'm not sure if there's anything you want to add about schemata or presentations. Sure. No, and I think one, one, uh, one lens, so we go back to that word change, is that um, you know, one lens is the concept of service, and that's how we start the book and the presentation chapter, and the idea that we are a catalyst for change as a presenter. We're not the source. And this goes back to something that I think, Jordan, you mentioned earlier, that we tend to think of self-fulfillment in the Western, you know, Western mindset of I'm presenting and you know, I'm there on the stage to be self-fulfilled, to be myself, to actualize myself, when in fact you are there as a catalyst and the audience is the centerpiece. The audience is who you want to self-actualize. Mm -hmm. you, know, you are the guy on the side of the marathon race, handing the water to the person who's running. You know, you're giving them the thunderbolt so they can enact change. You're Mr. Miyagi or the fairy godmother, right? So the idea that mind shift then cultivates the adaptability that we need for intercultural communication to occur because the audience becomes the centerpiece, not you or the content. And then you adjust your communication around that. And one important vehicle um, for this is storytelling, right? And so in the book, we talk about, you know, there's a team of researchers at Princeton that researched the neurological basis of storytelling. They found that when we deliver a story, we share these identical brain waves with our audience. And this is something that isn't is something that reaffirms what we already know is that storytelling is a very powerful transcultural ingredient. And so in the book, we give some tips for how to do this, how to create this mind to mind effect. And one is, you know, thinking of powerful decision making moments in your life and then sharing those with the audience so they can enact a similar decision in their lives. Um, or if there's a value that your presentation is built around, then building a story around that. If your presentation mm -hmm. is about integrity or empathy, for example, and um, or if you're presenting with data, you know, there's an article that Dan shared with me recently and the title never escapes me um, because it, it stuck with me. Uh, you know, the, the data without the human soul is meaningless. Mm. And so this idea that, you know, we give data, it's meaning analysis, interpretation. And so you can build a story around data, of course, um, cross culture, that's going to be more effective. 
And but the idea of service, this is the lens that that we we went through for that for the presentation. I want to certainly commend you for putting so much of this reference in the book. And you just referenced Mr. Miyagi and a bunch of other things in that statement to me. And and it clicked. And that's what I like to see happen. I like to see references that I can, you know, bring up that people can identify with. And that's a secret to making that connection. I do have a concern in general about the state of, particularly in this country, the state of writing and writing skill. And you both spend a very amount of time on the importance of writing, particularly in the international marketplace. And Dan, I'll start with you. Um, you're, you're a college professor, both of you are. Are you concerned about the shifting trends, you know, to writing with your thumbs in abbreviated sentences, negating grammar, even spelling? I mean, there's a lot of issues at play here. What, what do we do about the writing element? Yeah, sure, Jordan. So um, a lot of the writing element, like texting is not going away, right? A lot of this kind of modern short form uh, way of writing is going to stay with us for a while. But being able to understand when to write more formally and when to write a little bit more informally. And then I guess to circle back, it comes down to your audience, right? In terms of how much rapport that you've built with that person. And also at the same time, yeah, it's, it's really just teaching or training people to understand that clarity is so important today, right? So being clear on what you're saying, but also giving a meaningful message and whatever it is that you're saying. A lot of texts can be sent, right? And a lot of them can probably are probably pretty meaningless, right? It's just, okay, I'll be there. Or yeah, I'm picking up the milk, whatever, mm. whatever it is, right? It's, it's purely just for the purpose of sharing information. But whenever we add in these other objectives, right? So for example, if we're really trying to persuade someone there's a lot to be had there. There's ways that we have to focus on in terms of framing information, mm. right? So whether it's framing it for novelty or framing it for proximity, um, whether it's geographically or ideologically, right? So framing information to where people can really grasp, like you were saying, whether we use metaphors, whether we don't use metaphors. I mean, there's so much to really focus on. It's really hard to pinpoint just one thing, but something that we do talk about in the book includes these intercultural conventions. Um, and it goes back to the way that that um, cultures tend to process information. Now we just have to be mindful here that not all cultures or not all individuals in a culture are going to process information the same exact way just because we say, oh, well, this this culture tends to operate this way. These are simply just conventions that have evolved over time, right? And just something to be mindful of. So think of it as layers. So first we think of this layer of these cultural conventions in terms of how how somebody is used to writing, right? Because we think about grade school going through Mm -hmm. university and into the career, that's what's been taught, right? But again, we're trying to match patterns here, right? So the whole book comprised in itself is really focusing on these patterns and trying to um, connect ourselves with these patterns to, I guess for a lack of a better phrase, is connecting the dots. One of the big differences, at least that comes up in the trainings that that we do together and that I, I tend to do is, is this idea of these cultural conventions, as Dan said, you know, some cultures will build towards an argument at the end of the document. Others will, you know, of course, the Western, we have main idea, support, conclusion. Right. And, but, you know, thinking about not just, you know, as Dan was saying, not just creating one particular pattern with your document because you're targeting one audience of being able to write the same thing across, you know, these multiple patterns, you know, versus if it's an indirect culture, then knowing how to 
present the information in a way that the audience can make their own conclusions, or if it is a direct culture, then having that structure there. Um, and there's about five of them that we go through in that chapter. Uh, but the idea is that, you know, you want to write as others read, you know, not necessarily how you would like to read, which is a profound shift. You know, we tend to think again, you know, I want to write the way is honoring my style and my voice. But in fact, it's a shift. You want to write in a way that you, that the audience can more effectively ingest in a great by the information. So um, yeah, each chapter has these, these sort of mind shifts, but it is quite humbling. You know, a lot of it does, and there was a, uh, we were on another podcast and, and the interviewer said, but where is myself in all this? You know, how do I keep myself? And, and we said, well, it goes back to almost, was it Maslow's hierarchy of needs? You know, we have the, the basic needs are food, shelter, but the top need is self-actualization. But again, you're not thinking of your own. You're thinking about how do I help my audience self-actualize? How do I give them the tools so they can uh, reach their dreams, so they can create the change that they want to create? And so well, to bring it all home, uh, philosophically, we're still talking about what we started to talk about, which is really putting yourself in the shoes of the other person, wherever they may be, and being empathetic to their needs. And and it does work as a two-way street that, that when you give, you get back. Kill them with kindness, break the ice, all these American idioms. But it's true. You you do see a direct, and you guys talk about it and, and outline it, the research, a direct positive result from being positive. Yeah. So, I, and this is something that I like to say a lot during trainings is that there, there's something to be had with, with using positive language. I mean, cause we talk about positive thinking, right? There's something to be had with the way that you use your language going back to framing information, because it's very easy for us to think in terms of negative language. Oh yeah, I can't do this. Or unfortunately, mm. or, or I, I've never done this. It's not possible, right? That's the easy way. But if we just take a few extra seconds and we try to repurpose what we're saying in a positive format, you'll be surprised at the response that you'll get because the whole idea, whether it's writing, whether it's presenting, um, whatever form of communication, communication is a psychological process. The idea is that whatever you put out into the world is what you're going to get back. And that's, and that's kind of part of the philosophy here at the same time. Well, it's a book that has lots to offer, including the augmented reality segment uh, that you can check out, as well as the wonderful illustrations by Raul's twin, Rod, identical twin or just twin? Fraternal twin. Yeah. So fraternal twin. twin. Okay. He could draw you identically if he wanted to. He's <laughs> he that. could. Oh, he can draw anything. Yeah, no, he's, <laughs> he's amazing. Raul Sanchez and Dan Bullock are the authors, and uh, it's, uh, it's a very, very in-depth but fun and easy read. A lot of great tips and easy to get through and a lot of fun for somebody like me or anybody. Gentlemen, thank you so much and good luck with your work on this book and other projects. Thank you, Jordan. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much, Jordan. Really appreciate it. Once again, the book is called How to Communicate Effectively with Anyone, Anywhere, Your Passport to Connecting Globally. Available through Amazon and wherever fine books are sold. The authors, Raul Sanchez and Dan Bullock. Thanks to both of them. Thanks as well to Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media, to Ken Carberry and the gang at Chart Productions in Boston. And I always thank you for subscribing and downloading the podcast and for listening. We couldn't do it without you. Thank you so much. Until next time, the message continues to be pretty simple. Just be well so you can do some good. Take care.